calling out the myths, misinformation, and BS in the wellness industry. This is the Big Mouth Pharmacist Podcast. Here's your host, holistic pharmacist, supplement expert, Big Mouth, Dr. Neil Smoller. Broadcasting from the crawl space in the attic above my pharmacy in Woodstock, New York, it's Dr. Neil Smoller. I'm hiding from the coronavirus. I have no time here, people. We have an emergency on our hands. The coronavirus is coming, and no, it's not related to beer. I'm here with Dana. We have a lot of questions to answer. Dana? Sure do. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a pretty nutty time here. I mean, uh, just try not to panic. <laughs> we just had a gentleman come into the store and bought 12 bottles of zinc lozenges. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I said to him, you know, if you ingest this, even one person ingesting this for longer than two to three days that they recommend, you can like burn out your taste buds. And he's like, yes, I understand. And like out the door. There's I mean, a, lot of, a lot of crazy going on right now. If it makes him feel better, it seems a little, I mean, isn't zinc like... Wouldn't it burn your stomach too? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about all the different supplement stuff, I'm sure, when we're talking about this coronavirus craziness. But the idea, of course, is going to irritate your gut. It's going to fry your nerves and your tongue and potentially damage your taste buds. It's great for upper respiratory tract infections like colds. But I think the flu is not an upper respiratory tract infection. You know what I'm saying? I think I that it's, it's a little bit different. So, uh, yeah. So well, we, have a lo- we have a lot of myths and misinformation to kind of talk about and... I want to say that if you visit woodstockvitamins.com slash coronavirus, because we had to create our own URL for the topic, we have a very nice blog that I'm updating pretty much daily with any new thing that comes up or comes out, especially around myths and misinformation in the natural products industry and their management of this whole uh, crisis, quote unquote. Uh, I guess the biggest thing to understand right now is that it isn't a crisis right now. It's just starting and it's uh, a weird little virus and hopefully we'll have an expert on to, to talk about all this stuff. Uh, we have lots of questions for them, but you and I here, we can help people understand what's, what's what, what are the myths? What is real? What should we be doing? So let's get started. So Dana, yeah, I asked you to get a list of questions that people would want to know the answers to for this podcast and you had a a revelation. What was your revelation? There's very limited information available (laughs) and I'm afraid we're just going to reiterate it, but I think it's pertinent that we do so. Yeah. Which um, we should be washing our hands. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it funny how like we're disgusting? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's how they cured the plague for real. They were like, just bathe more regularly and it'll stop, stop the necropathy Ne- necropathy you know, you know the word i'm trying you're the yeah. professional uh, necromancy <laughs> something that's, like that's that. in dungeons and dragons um i think one of my favorite stories is how they realized that we should be washing our hands as medical practitioners was when they were in an OBGYN unit like delivering babies yeah and they were going from mom to mom without washing their hands and they were spreading the infection. They're like, Oh, maybe we should wash our hands in between. And when they did, they realized that none of those complications were a problem anymore. And it is very odd to me that, um, we're this day and age and we still don't know that washing your hands is so important, but you know, you wash them five times a day, it'll reduce the spread of cold by about 45%. Mm. CDC also says, I think, um, like 30% of men and or 60% of men and 30% of women don't wash their hands after they use the restroom? Yeah, well, I mean, that that in and of itself is unpleasant to think about, but also 
uh, as a germaphobe, mm-hmm. I also recommend washing before you go in because that's actually when your hands are dirtier. Yeah. And then you're touching all your private parts. Yeah. I think my kids uh, make up a big portion of that percentage of people that don't wash their hands after they go to the, the I literally am like, go back in there. What are you doing? <laughs> and because then they want to put your hands on your face. Yeah. Oh, God. It's disgusting. So. Yeah, well, I mean, let's before. Sorry, yeah, but before we move on, mm-hmm. I think we should unpack the hand washing because it's very specific. And as the professional, you should tell people how to wash their hands properly. Yeah, sure. Lots of friction. Um, use sandpaper, eighty grit. Uh, <laughs> twenty seconds, <laughs> 20 man. Seconds. So yeah, they they say twenty seconds, and it's a time based thing, of course. Here's a bigger point: What is the soap doing? That's a lot of people don't understand what that is. They think it's like killing off the bacteria, but it's not. The bacteria live in the oils on our hands and the soap is a surfactant essentially, which means it's turning the soap into something that can be washed, the oils that can be washed away. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're basically breaking up the oils in your skin where the bacteria is hanging out. And then, yeah, there's going to be some direct like washing away and direct kill action uh, from the soap. But essentially it's just breaking up the oils on your hand and getting it away. So think about that. All the different little, nooks and crannies like a thomas's english muffin on your fingers that you want to make sure that you're getting into so lots of pressure so squeezing them together you know and uh rubbing uh pretend you're a surgeon i think that you know working with doctors helped out a bunch when i had to work on the the floors at like my clinical job watching them wash hands in between and like they go down to the wrist Mm -hmm. and they they're really very like finely tuned about it and i think that's the approach that you really need to take when you're washing your hands um, so I say sing happy birthday twice. Oh, okay. Yep. I put in my article that it's not copyrighted anymore. So you don't have to worry about them coming after you for singing happy birthday to yourself. So, because th- that's why restaurants had to make up their own, their own soundtrack to happy birthday. I don't know if you know that. I, I did know that. I thought <laughs> I actually just recently found that out and I thought that was hilarious. I was like, oh, that's why we have so many insidious versions of that song. Right. So. So yeah, so coronavirus is, is, is a thing and I think it's going to be a long summer, mm. uh, to be quite honest, if it's got a two week incubation period and it can be, um, transmitted asymptomatically between people, that means that we have a very long cycle, right? And yeah. I, I'm not too sure how long the cases last. I would assume it's like a flu. So upwards of a week, right? Right. Um, so that stinks. So that means that if we're just getting started here, that means we're going to probably hit peak like mid to late April. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm glad that I didn't book uh, our our spring break trick for the kids. You know? Oh yeah, because yeah. then ugh. it would have just got ruined, and we would have wasted a ton of money. So yeah, kids are germ factories anyway. Yeah, they're gross, and like getting on plane. I mean, we were just in Orlando through the JFK and everything like that. There's just people everywhere, and um, so yeah. So you're infected, and now I'm infected. Probably, Thanks. yeah, probably. You could have done this by telecom. <laughs> probably, we'll 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 not make it past the <laughs> end of the episode. So so the the hand washing thing is important because it is it's the reason that we keep reiterating it because there isn't really anything you can do. This is a virus, so it's going to spread. And because it's such a blunting effect, basic hygiene, that's the best recommendation that they can make. The other one is don't touch your hands to your face. So the idea of the droplets is how it's spread. So the virus lives in our lungs. We cough or talk, and we're putting out these microscopic droplets everywhere droplets get on our hands they get on surfaces and then we touch those and then we touch them back to our face and there they are so even just like close 
contact communications. That's why the mask thing has come up. We'll talk about masks in just a second, but you know, touching your face is bringing those germs right directly to your upper respiratory tract, which, you know, you don't have to have a big old globule on your hand. You can literally breathe a small amount of these, these viruses into your body and that's it. And and then you get them. Um, So, so the other thing that people aren't talking about is your stupid phone. Wash <laughs> your stupid phone. Every, mm-hmm. no, like when you're in the pharmacy and you're like, my doctor wants to talk to you and you hand me a cell phone, I'm going to slap it out of your hands because you take it on the toilet with you. Yeah. In fact, that's where a lot of anti-vaxxers do most of their research that they talk about <laughs> is actually on the toilet. So using their cell phone. So, and that information is about as valid as what's coming out of them. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so, so the, the cell phone cleansing, I, I came up with my blog. Again, I, I'm going to keep pointing you towards the blog that I did on this because it just kind of puts all this in a more concise manner. But I said, I'm going to make a, a new natural wipe for, for phones to clean them off called the iPhone virus wipes. <laughs> That's a good note. That's joke, clever. Right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. So wash your phone a couple times a day. Oh, because it is a thing that you're constantly putting in your hands and in your face and sharing with other people. It is probably one of the grossest things that you have. The irony Um, is that most of us don't actually talk on the phone anymore, but still wash your phone. Yeah, wash your phone because you're touching it too much. So um, alcohol uh, is excellent. So isopropyl, 70%. That's enough to, uh, you you need the water basically to uh, break and and wipe away the the virus itself. A a quarter percent bleach solution, which in our blog, we have a a link to that concentration, how to to make that bleach solution. Those are only good for like a day. So you have to make those pretty fresh unless they're preserved, then they're good for three days. So a bleach solution isn't something that you make and just keep in a bottle. It, it won't work after a day. That's hmm. a piece that I forgot to tell everybody. Um, so, so washing your hands, don't touch your face, clean your phones and, you know, um, coughing when people cough, they don't know how to do it right. There's a lot of at schools. What the heck they were, they were telling the kids to basically take their shirt and, hold their hand up to their face and then just cough through the shirt. I'm like, you're just adding an extra layer filter layer. So now you have a dirty shirt. So you should be coughing into your elbows is what the CDC says, because then, you know, those aren't being touched, which is kind of funny now. Like there was a, a, a press conference and, the guys on stage were elbow bumping instead of fist bumping yeah. each other. But now that's where all the germs are from coughing. Oh my God. Elbow. We literally can't win. <laughs> we can't win. There's too many people. Isn't it funny that everybody's like, oh, there's too many people and Thanos was right and we need a plague. And now they're like, give me a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a meme that said exactly that. It was something oh, really? towards anti-vaxxers again. Yeah, I um, I said in the blog about coronavirus that we're checking when a vaccine is available, we'll be checking your social media history to make sure that you did not <laughs> post anything anti-vax in, in the past. Um, there is, it is funny that that gets forgotten in the situation where there's like a dire emergency in front mm-hmm. of you. A lot of people will forget that. And I'm cool with it. Forget it. And they'll always forget it and stay consistent. Get, come back to the the light here. Um, so cleaning your phone, coughing into your shoulders, um, masks. So this is the, the biggest thing that's been coming up is that the N95 mask, as soon as a few cases started to break, pretty much went unavailable. Mm-hmm. N95 mask is the only mask that can stop transmission into you. Okay. Any of the other surgical masks are pretty good about blocking stuff out. So if you're sick, always wear a mask. Mm-hmm. And this is a good thing that people are now have uh, less of a negative stigma about masks. Like 
walk through the airport and people have masks and you're not kind of freaked out about it anymore. We're like, Oh, that guy has leprosy, you know, right. like we can't, we can't go near that person. So the mask hoarding is stupid too. Um, because nobody knows how to use the masks. Right. Yeah. So when I, even when I had one on, I was really sick the other day and I didn't want everybody to get sick. I think I had a stomach bug or something like that, but I had to be here. So I put a mask on and I noticed myself like the seal was breaking quite a bit, oh, you know? Okay. And so if you break the seal, forget the mask is no good. You might as well not have used it. And, um, disposing of the masks correctly. They have all the mucus and, and droplets on them. So you have to make sure that you take them off correctly. So they're not transmitting all over you. Oh my God. There's a lot of things that people aren't thinking of. So yeah. a study was done, I believe recently, I think it's been making its rounds saying that it's just not effective because most people aren't trained in how to use it. And it's very difficult because then you have a full sense of confidence. You're acting more cocky you're touching your face more is what they right. found. People are touch their face and more comfortable doing that because then they're adjusting the mask to make it comfortable. So then they're breaking the seal and then they're are getting their fingers in these concentrated droplet pieces. So it doesn't really help the general population. Now, if you're in, you know, you're in emergency care, you need to have those masks. So the upside of all of this is mm -hmm. that this could bring that awful long beard trend to an end. Yeah. Yeah. Because fingers uh, crossed, man, I did see an infographic about like the facial hair, what's facial hair is acceptable um, for this. And it's very limited stuff, very tiny mustaches. Yeah. Kind clean of shaven thing. is the best, which mm -hmm. I, I'm a fan of stubble, but um, mm -hmm. I mean, beards down to your belly button. Mm -hmm. I'm all set on that. Yeah. Uh, no man buns either. I don't know what that has to do with coronavirus, <laughs> but just stop with that. That was cool in the nineties when um, those guys were doing those bull cuts and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, but, yeah, I remember that. And it became very like, you know, um, glam rock, like mm -hmm. fans of kid rock are what I think of when I think of that Man, haircut. But, yeah. We're not doing that, but that has nothing to do with coronavirus. That's just us commenting on society. Mm. Um, Hashtag Dana's opinions. <laughs> the, so the biggest thing for me around the mask is the hoarding because it's done by the wrong people. Right. Um, the people that are hoarding the masks and, and buying them aren't high risk. And this is something that we have to remember when we have this kind of stuff come up, when, when it's a flu, when anything. Our whole goal, the whole reason that we do the vaccines is to protect the high-risk patients from hospitalization and death. Right. If we also can protect ourselves from getting the thing and from suffering from the thing, that's good. But we don't want high-risk people to actually get sick and die from these infections. So we have to identify in each kind of scenario who are the high-risk patients and we have to do our best to protect them um in this situation so normally high risk is kids anybody under 12 mm -hmm. and then anybody over 65 those are typically just age-related high-risk piles mm -hmm. and then anybody through any age that also has normally lung disease or some compromised immune system or diabetes or heart disease it's a reasonably extensive list but all of those people are considered high risk at any age um, in this situation, kids don't seem to be a high risk target. Um, you well, know, that's encouraging. Yeah, that's nice that, you know, with H1N1, they were, they were the highest risk. Anybody under 30 technically were higher risk because they, oh, had, they had not been exposed. Thank God we're yeah, aged out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well now you're good because we've been getting the vaccine for a couple of years, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, at that time it was younger people that needed it more than anybody because they had not been exposed to that strain. And then of course the, you know, the second tier of higher risk is still all the other people that were there. So it seems like 80 year olds 
plus are the ones that really have high fatality rates, like high fatality rates from mm. this. Um, we have to protect those people. And by us hoarding anything, masks, food, drugs, vaccines, when they become available, um, it prevents one person that is high risk from getting it. So we have to do our duty and change this from, a you know, how am I going to get protected to, you know, <laughs> it's like the plain thing. Put your mask on before you put somebody else's. Right. It's just the opposite. Put somebody else's mask on <laughs> first and then put your mask on. Make sure that they're all set and all taken care of. And then as long as they are, then um, you can start to be concerned about your risks and, and things. And again, if you are high risk, then yeah, you should be the one that has access to these these things. So if you wanted to have a mask, you can technically have it, especially if you were traveling through a high risk area, you know, you live in the city or you have to get on mass transit or something like that. Then it makes sense to have that. It almost makes sense to have even stronger respirators that, that functionally keep a seal, you know, those big yeah, canister yeah. type things, the zombie apocalypse type ones. So, um, that's what just my little soapbox rant. So I, on, on my in my blog, I, I actually make a point to say that I think that everybody needs to find the people in their circle that are the high risk people and make sure that they're cared for first. Make sure that they have masks, they have hand sanitizer, they have all their groceries stocked up. They have a couple weeks extra of medicine if they need. And if the vaccine becomes available, you make sure that you're driving them to get the vaccine first. Um, and then from there, then we can start to worry about all of us and, and, and those kinds of issues, uh, around our, you know, survival of the thing. But it seems that the only people that are dying are the ones that have complications before, um, preexisting conditions, um, lung disease and age. So it seems like it's pretty, it, I hate to use the word mild, but it seems, mm -hmm. seems not too horrible, um, for people other people that are, are kind of experiencing it. it it's, it seems like a very uh, manageable type thing. It's just the reason that it's making such a uh, big splash, I believe is just because of the virality, because it infects like a couple people for every person that's infected. Right. And I think I read that the flu doesn't do that. It actually has a smaller movement. Yeah. Uh, well, it seems like, and I say this with no sarcasm mm -hmm. now would probably be a good time to really attempt to stop smoking. If you still smoke cigarettes and, don't vape because all of that is introducing gross mm -hmm. stuff to your lungs and compromising your immune system. Yeah. Oils just coating the the lungs and, and such and, and causing inflammation and irritation, which makes it a, a more comfortable environment for opportunistic infections. So mm -hmm. you, you definitely don't want to do that. So the medicine thing, let's talk, because we're talking about hoarding. We're talking about the masks. Now we got to talk about meds because this is driving me absolute nuts as a pharmacist. I We were in Florida when the FDA said, you, you should make sure you stock up on some of your medicines to have an extra supply just in case you have to be like homebound. Mm -hmm. Right. And the next day I'm seeing messages. We can't get drugs. We can't get any medicine. None of the antibiotics are available. No uh, inhalers are available. Again, there's so many people rushing out thinking that there's going to be some sort of national shortage because of this, they're creating a national shortage. So, if, on, if you have allergies and you take a hit or two off your inhaler occasionally, like once or twice a year, you don't need to stockpile your al albuterol. There are some people recommending that you get six months worth of your medication. 
That seems excessive. It's insanely excessive. We sync people's medicine, like most independent pharmacies, we'll make sure you get your medicines at the same day of every month. And we always tell people to have two weeks minimum extra just for travel and emergencies and stuff like that. So even in those people, I would tell them maybe two weeks more, but most people two weeks is more than enough because if you get quarantined, it's just two weeks and that's it, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So the problem then becomes this idea of stockpiling to prevent in the event of a shortage. So the shortage is driven by the stockpiling. So there's always a strategy though. Your doctor can take most medications and kind of shift them around and make some switch switches to ensure that your therapy never changes. There's even some drugs that people don't have to take every day. You know, yeah. if there's a cholesterol issue, you can go a couple of weeks without taking your cholesterol medicine and nothing horrible is going to happen for almost most of us, but that's up for your doctor and your pharmacist to decide, of course. But the point of the story is that, the hoarding is is silly and it's causing more problems than it is. And again, if you're not the high risk person, you shouldn't be hoarding anything. You should maybe have a week or two just in case you get, again, the only reason that you're doing this is just in case you get quarantined. You're not allowed to leave the house and people aren't allowed to come see you. Right. You know, that's it. Um, on that note, I think that most of the local governments, as I've heard, will just start closing public services if this happens. Yeah, that's already started. Right. So they'll just shut schools down for two weeks and yeah. say nobody can you know, go to school for two weeks, which means that summer is going to be lo- shorter. But um, it, it just means that there's going to be enough stuff to do. We have delivery. We ship stuff. So um, take advantage of any of those services that are in your community now if you don't want to get exposed. Again, it hasn't made its way anywhere except for the major cities on on both coasts right now. I'm sure it's going to be moving pretty quickly soon. But. Yeah, a man in Westchester. Oh, yeah? You know, as far as local stuff goes, yeah, mm-hmm. now it's in Westchester, so it's creeping upstate. Okay, cool. All right, well, I'm glad that I got my stomach bug out of the way. I yeah. actually didn't have a stomach bug. I think it was a um, food poisoning, so I was away. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this conference, and I go out to dinner with a couple of my friends I haven't seen in a bit, and um, I, the next night I just threw up the entire night, and I Aww. didn't sleep. And then I had to do a whole other day of conference and we were doing a dinner out with uh, people that were interested in supplement school. So I had to like go like 14 or 16 <laughs> hours or some God. insane amount with no sleep. It's awful. Oh yeah. I've got sleeping pills for this, just this very moment. And I was like, good night. See you later. <laughs> so I'm just caught up, catching up on sleep, but I'm glad that that's all over and behind me. So. Okay. So there is one thing that I, I heard a little something about, and maybe you know a bit more so the president keeps saying that Asterisk this- Asterisk after his name. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, keeps saying that he thinks that uh, it should get better once the weather gets warmer. And I heard, I think it was like Stephen Colbert said that that was loosely based on some other epidemic that the warm weather helped to abate. Do you know anything about that? Is it likely that this will sort of fade away for the summer, but maybe come back in the fall? Like what's, what is that even- about i don't know um i think that chilling can increase your risk for viral infections rapid chilling like and the idea that it's warmer doesn't mean that it won't survive i just think that once it's warmer people get out of the house and kind of do that whole thing you know again when it's warmer our kids aren't in schools mm-hmm. and most of our diseases are transmitted because they're in schools, not washing their hands and being gross and, and, and then passing it around cold cough and cold season is due to the, the change in the temperature, the change in the environment and the allergens. But then also because everybody's then concentrating inside, 
And so mm-hmm. we have this big uptick in, in this. But I, I don't think that this should be politicized at all. And I'm really upset that it has been. Uh, and, yeah, Jesus. And that's another whole thing we can kind of rant about here. Two points. One, our healthcare system is built on GoFundMe. Uh, mm-hmm. And then two, the idea that communications from our experts have to be filtered through a political lens. Both of those are bad things. So I don't care what side or team or whatever you're on. That's not the way it should be. And so with that in mind, I would prefer it if your information on this started to come from global sources. World Health Organization has a very active page. Looking at the CDC is fine, but I'm concerned that they're tweaking that. And the CDC has been crippled because of budget cuts by the this administration. Yeah, We could have probably had a much stronger response if that wasn't the case. So yeah, I, I just I just think that None of this stuff should be going on. Uh, somebody such as him, somebody such as our president should not be commenting on this. He is very much known to shooting from the hip. He doesn't read briefings. He doesn't enlist the help of experts. And that's the opposite of what we want in something like this. The whole point of having experts is to ask them questions <laughs> when, when their expertise comes up and uh, by ignoring that it's really bad. I think somebody was saying that uh, a, a recent press conference about it seemed to be science driven and there was no filtering of that information is what they say. I don't believe it. I just think that get your information from these outside sources. I think it, you'll just be better served. Um, so look towards the world health organization that isn't like filtered through that lens. So, yeah, I think as far as the whole politicizing of it too, is that the reason we have the outbreaks on the coasts is because I, I think our administration just didn't want to, like they didn't want to acknowledge or accept that it could be coming over here and people coming in from the um, from the outbreak areas were not quarantined like they should have been. Yeah, that's 100% proven at this point. Everybody knows that that's what happened. It was about optics for them. It wasn't about controlling uh, an outbreak. You'd think the better optics would be to control the outbreak. Like insane level of control like we're we're so controlling that we're going to put some travel restrictions in place and such another interesting point is the the boat that was out at sea and they quarantined yeah, everybody there yeah. now they said actually would have been less um less con- illness if they had just let everybody off right because <laughs> they're it, like you just said people mm-hmm. being stuck in school mm-hmm. yeah and so they were just like stuck on this floating um mm-hmm. vessel of mm-hmm. you know Mucus. virus yeah they're stuck in a petri dish yeah i heard they were going to close the southern border and i'm like e- that's not where it's coming from it's coming from the western border they just want to put a wall up yeah <laughs> the wall will protect us from coronavirus let's talk about supplements right because this is the part that pisses me off so we've done our community services pharmacists i believe here telling people what's up the idea of this coronavirus is that it should take it very seriously because it is potentially going to be a pandemic it's got lots of implications for being a pain in the arse and deadly for some people so we have to protect the people in our community, in our circles that are at highest risk. So let's make sure that we're addressing that for them, not hoarding for ourselves, but instead making sure that they're all taken care of in the event that we have to shut everything down and we'll have limited access to them. So put them first, higher priority towards them. The second piece then is around all of these people that are now popping up saying, take this thing for antiviral activity, take this thing for the coronavirus, just straight up. Anybody that's offering something for the coronavirus should be dragged out in the street and beat up 
mm. with like soap and socks and stuff like that, like they do in the military. The or at least they did in that one movie. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we talk about it in the movies. That's a horrible thing. You, none of these supplements are going to have any activity against coronavirus. There's no connection between coronavirus and any supplement or any, even any medicine at this point, right? We, the, the treatments are just palliative to take care of the people. They may be trying antivirals. I'm not too sure where they're at with the, the findings. Somebody linked me something of a Chinese study saying intramuscular vitamin C and it's an impact on the coronavirus. And it's just a study that's currently ongoing in China mm -hmm. by this one group who knows who they are. And now it's being referenced as a treatment option. So then people want to inject vitamin C into their skin to, and to their muscles to protect themselves against coronavirus. And I have to point out that it's just a hypothesis. It's literally like saying, I'm going to test the fact that chewing on rats will make me thinner, right? <laughs> And obviously, if I start eating rats, it's not going to make me thinner unless I get really unhealthy and, and almost die. Um, we have to finish the study to find the results and then interpret the results and all of that stuff. So it's literally just a study that's being launched. It's not a study that has been concluded at all. So I think something good to keep in mind is that it's right in the name, the novel coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Novel means this is the first time. New. So mm -hmm. there is nothing out there that definitely treats it. Just Keep that in mind until the World Health Organization says we've got the vaccine. Yeah. And we'll talk about the vaccine too. Um, silver. There was another guy, uh, I think the evangelical guy that's peddling colloidal silver as an. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> Does that, that turn you blue if you take too much of it? It turns you blue. It's not even a joke. The size of the molecules will gum up and then it has like an effect to change the skin pigment blue. Oh, God. And uh, people have done it. And. There's no essentiality to silver. You don't need it. It's in our body because there's a trace amount of it. And silver topically, when it's complex with sulfur molecules, can be antibacterial. Mm -hmm. But it's more the sulfur than it is the silver. Mm -hmm. And um, so using special types of silver, silver drugs uh, can help out with, say, burns. Using special type of silver. Silver. Hey, yo, we, I got two silvers. So <laughs> you can massage it on and it'll help out with burns and wounds. But taking silver internally is a bad idea because our body isn't, aren't really made to handle that. And I always point out the hypocrisy that so many people are anti-heavy metals because of all the horrible things it can do to you. But then they ingest silver as a, a result. And that is not cool. Um, don't do that. So is there any added benefit if you have gotten a flu shot? Because that is also viral. Yes. So mm -hmm. the flu shot. All right, let's talk about vaccines. Yo. <laughs> the flu shot won't stop you from getting coronavirus. It's not going to do anything. And it, it, it probably won't change for most people the severity of the coronavirus but it's believed if you have some sort of immunization against it and all of your other immunizations in place your response to this should be better nice that's the thought is that these vaccines make your immune system respond to these types of things better um so yeah you definitely should be getting a vaccine so i have a lot of people now i need a flu shot i need a pneumonia shot get it sure but next year why don't you get it on time yeah. And, and not wait until the last minute just because now it's relevant to you. It's something that you should do it on a preventative basis. But even the vaccine of the flu shot isn't going to stop you from getting this. The vaccine from the flu shot doesn't stop you from getting the flu, you know? Yeah. I'm not too sure about the use of Tamiflu for coronavirus. I don't know what 
they're using right now to treat it. I guess that's another one we'll kick to the expert. Yeah. So you know what, Dana, instead of us just kind of going back and forth, why don't I just reach out to one of my friends? So my buddy is Joseph Carreno. He's a pharmacist too. He's got a doctorate degree like I do. Um, he's an associate professor of pharmacy practice at the Albany College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences. He's an infectious disease guy. He practices uh, basically making sure that people don't overuse their antibiotics at Albany Medical Center. And he teaches infectious diseases to people. So I think he'd be a good resource. So let me just zap him real quick. Give me just a second here. Great. Hey, Joe. Hey, Neil. Hey, how's it going, man? Doing well. How are you? Good. Do you mind if you answer a few questions for me about uh, coronavirus that we have? I'm in the middle of a podcast here. <laughs> sure. I'd be happy to help out. <laughs> All right, cool. I'm glad that uh, I was able to get you so quickly. You're a busy dude. So, um, so let me see here. What? So our biggest thing is everybody's going for over-the-counter products because there's a lot of bad information connecting over-the-counter products to actually treating or preventing the coronavirus. And as I've read, there's we don't have any data about anything. So do we know what patients are even being treated with when they get diagnosed with coronavirus? So that's a great question. I always like to point people to resources from the United States Center for Disease Control and Prevention or CDCP. Yeah. So this is where I'm getting the information from. And according to the CDC, there really aren't any specific treatments for COVID-19. Yeah. Basically, what you try to do is manage a, a person for their um, just a symptomatic management when they come into the hospital, if they're even hospitalized, right. which most patients aren't hospitalized. So it's just, you know, standard precautions mm -hmm. with a little bit extra of airborne infection isolation, contact precautions, airborne precautions with protection. And that's really so that healthcare providers don't spread it from the patient to other patients. And then there's other supportive treatments such as fluids or in severe cases, if patients stop breathing, then they just need to be put on machines to help them breathe known as mechanical ventilation. Right. So it's palliative care, essentially. It's treating them to make sure that they stay alive during this lung infection. And there's nothing that they can do to actually treat the infection right now that we know of. Yeah, exactly. And then if there's complications known as sepsis, Mm -hmm. um, then you would follow the standard sepsis guidelines, which would include other things like steroids or additional medications that help keep your blood pressure up. But that's really to manage the complications. You're not really treating the disease itself. And I mean, I think that's a big piece for people to remember that the disease is pretty mild in most people. I mean, most people that are getting this are not even showing symptoms, right? Right. So some of the early reports estimate that about 80% of the disease is quite mild mm -hmm. and 20% would be severe. So yeah, I, I think that's the part that everybody's getting kind of freaked out about is that the people that need all of these resources are the ones that are not getting them. It's a pretty mild condition for most of us. Um, so antivirals, Tamiflu, stuff like that, stuff that we would use if somebody got a viral infection, are, are any of those helpful? We've had people ask us to fill Tamiflu prescriptions for them. Right. So that's a great question. And I can understand people's concerns and wanting to try to do something. Mm -hmm. Right now, there are no currently licensed drugs to treat COVID-19. Mm. There are some randomized controlled trials that are going on right now, looking at investigational drugs mm -hmm. and some repurposing of older drugs. But as of right now, there's no recommendation for any specific antivirals. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know if you heard about this, but in China, there's a guy that registered a clinical trial for 24 grams of intravenous vitamin C. 
<laughs> so he just registered I had, the trial. <laughs> I, I had not seen that one yet. Oh yeah. my God. So imagine <laughs> the amount of oranges that you'd have to squeeze, but no, the, uh, so he's registered that trial and now people are using it as justification for using ascorbic acid pills. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so that's kind of the stuff that we have going on here, but anyway, um, so is there anything about this virus or anything that makes it so unique that's causing this like absolute insanity that seems to be going on with the American public? Or is that just because we're the American public and that's what we do? So I can't pretend to fully understand the <laughs> psyche of the American public, but I'll give you my insights as to why um, this may be such a feeding frenzy, as you put it to me before. Yeah. I think the main thing is the unknown. You know, it's it's yeah. a new virus and there's just not a lot of data out there. Um, and the data that is out there seems to be a little bit worrisome. So something called the r naught or the infectivity rate, mm-hmm. which is basically how likely it is that one person will transmit it to another person is about uh, 2 to 2.5. That's a World Health Organization estimate from the cases in Wuhan, China. Um, and also from the, the cruise ship that was uh, sequestered. Basically, that means that if one person has it, then they're likely to infect two to two and a half other people. And so I think that's what makes it um, unique is that it has a a relatively high infectivity. And the other thing that makes it, I think, a little bit more unique is the mortality rate. So um, some of the early reports um, from China were the mortality rate was about 2.3%. And so when you look at seasonal influenza in the United States, the mortality rate is about 0.1%. So it seems to be more uh, lethal than the influenza by about 20 fold. So when you hear that statistic 20 fold times as, as lethal, it, um, it can be scary, but you have to take that into context. It's a relative risk, but still a small absolute risk. Um, so I think that's why individuals may have uh, extra fears with this situation. Yeah. And as you pre- tend to not, you know, not pretend to know the human psyche. I not pretend to know anything about epidemiology, but isn't it that we are just seeing really sick dead people more now? And we, you know, we, we won't have a full count to know what the final mortality rate of this thing is until it's really hit the population and we can test accurately and all of that stuff. Right. So. Right. Absolutely. So right now what you're describing is, is called uh, detection bias, right? We're only testing the most severe cases right now, mm-hmm. the ones that look the sickest. So we're just taking a sample of really sick patients and seeing and trying to estimate a mortality rate from those really sick people. And the general population is not really sick. So when you look at the World Health Organization's latest um, estimates for the mortality rate, um, it's actually lower than what was shown in China. So yesterday when I calculated out, it was 1.7%. Mm-hmm. Um, so exactly what you're saying, uh, as we get a better understanding of what the true denominator is, um, it's likely that rate will come down. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we have to consider too, you know, looking at the Chinese situation versus the American situation is the differences in air quality between the two countries. So I, I think you know, is my theory is that the air quality in China is so much lower than the air quality in the United States. And there's also much higher prevalence of smoking mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot more underlying lung disease as compared to the American population. So um, 
I think that we're likely to see um, uh, a difference in in our mortality because of those factors. Right. Well, I think you've done enough to quell my fears and answer my questions. So I thank you for taking the uh, lightning call here. I appreciate it a lot. And uh, I'm sure my listeners do too. So thanks so much. Thanks, Neil. I'm glad to help out. Well, Dana, what do you think of that? And there it is. <laughs> All right, Joe, I really, really appreciate you being able to help me out with these kinds of questions. It just sounds good when it comes from an authority that's not me, especially somebody who is as credentialed as yourself. So I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Neil. Happy to help. Take care now. So back to the supplement side of things. Um, what do you do to strengthen your immune system? Well, sleep, exercise, eating well. Boring advice, but that's the truth. If anybody <laughs> knows anything about the immune system is that it's hyper complicated, like complicated squared. It's, it's one of the most complicated systems to learn about. And one of the most complicated systems that I know of in biology and anybody who does a reductionist take on it, like boosting the immune system, that's, that normally means that they don't know what they're talking about. So eating though, at sleep, everything like that, vitamin C orally isn't going to help out, um, the, there are some products that have antiviral activity. Okay. So lysine is promoted for its antiviral use, but you need a certain dose of it. And it's normally just in herpes simplex. It's not going to kill all viruses. It's just that lysine has been tied to reducing the incidence of cold sores in some people. Hmm. So we can't then take that assumption and then apply it to everything else. Right. Um, elderberry helps with flu symptoms. It does. Uh, taking a high dose of elderberry can reduce flu symptoms down in some of the smaller trials that we've, we've, we have for it. The problem is, is that most people are buying too low of a dose of elderberry. It's normally diluted. We call it the pixie dusting. Mm -hmm. Most elderberry needs to be like five grams worth of berry in a teaspoon or more. It's very, very concentrated amounts of berry juice and such in order for it to have enough of the compounds from elderberry to actually do something. The reason I say these two things is because in my little pharmacy groups, a lot of people are asking me questions about supplements now, now that I'm like the little supplement quality guy. And one of them was about a product that's formulated and it's called, uh, I'm actually not going to name it because uh, <laughs> I don't want to trash anybody, but it's a product that's marketed as an antiviral product. And oh. as I talk about on the blog, Supplement quality is an onion. There are outside layers that you can look at from a consumer standpoint and identify a quality related problem. If it's so obvious that it's in these outside layers, that's normally a good chance that there's something rotten at the core too. So if a company's out there saying that we, I don't know, improve memory, which <laughs> a company does, it says that they improve memory. That is a, a, a claim that you should not be making. It's pretty much illegal. And, uh, that is normally a good sign that you're not dealing with a quality supplement product or company. And so what else are they doing behind the scenes if they're going to be so blatant in their uh, non-compliance with the law? So on the other side is the supplement facts panel, looking at the supplement facts panel, because most of us, when we buy supplements, we buy it based on the front of the label. The front of the label is marketing, though. It's just a name and it's just the copy that's written by a marketing department to get you to be enticed to buy the product. The 
semi-truth is in the supplement facts panel. And the supplement facts panel lists the different ingredients. So in this particular product, it basically was just a multivitamin. It had a little bit more vitamin C because people associate vitamin C with immune system. And then it had zinc because, again, people associate these things with it. And it has all of those. But most of us aren't efficient in those. Most of us are eating more than enough food to have more than enough of those. Right. The only things that we're mostly deficient in are the vital five, those five things that I keep bringing up because those are the things that even with some of the best diets, people can't get enough of. Omega-3, probiotics, calcium, protein, and sometimes, sometimes some micronutrients like B12 and stuff like that, right? So vitamin A, vitamin C, you don't need those things. And if you were to need them, get them from your food. That's going to be much more impactful than you know some synthetic vitamin. But then the rest of the ingredients... Again, it's a marketing thing. So it's got elderberry. So most people stop at the elderberry and they say, oh, it's got elderberry in it. And I know elderberry helps out with flu. So there it is. It's got lysine. Lysine helps out with viruses. The point of the story is none of the doses of any of the ingredients were in any of the studies out there in their range, right? It's not enough. We're pixie dust and we're using too small of an amount of these things. So look past the marketing, look at the supplement facts panel, and then start to ask those tough questions. Is there enough of this stuff in here to actually do anything for me? And once you start doing that, you see that most products are bullshit. (laughs) Most (laughs) products are made just to kind of have an offering for a certain brand in a a particular category, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to do something for for your condition. Can you reiterate the dosage that would be helpful? Yeah. So I, I, what I'll do is I'll actually refer you to the woodstockvitamins.com website and type in elderberry. I have 15 fun facts about elderberry and it lists out how to buy elderberry, what to be cons- to consider and look at the most recent dosage stuff that's there. Okay. Uh, but it's mostly the way that you have to think about it is multiple grams a day, multiple grams via multiple teaspoons of a concentrate. The lysine, again, multiple grams. So 500 to two grams is probably a bigger number. And on both of those ingredients in this product was 250 milligrams. And that's not enough to do anything. So you have to kind of make that dose connection because if a product is marketed as something, you have to verify that that's real and that stinks. You should be able to go to a healthcare practitioner and say, is this right for me? And then they should be able to tell you. But again, the whole industry is a mess. And a lot of people aren't aware of these kind of connections between the product and the dose. So when it comes to boosting your immune health and keeping your immune system optimized, I guess, we start first with lifestyle choices making healthy, healthy choices, eating quality foods, dark leafy greens, fruits and vegetables, drinking all of our fluids, avoiding inflammatory foods like saturated uh, fat and high amounts, trans fats, deli meat, all the gross stuff, reducing that down, having an anti-inflammatory rich diet, healthy fatty fish, again, dark leafy greens, blues, reds, all of that stuff. Eat lots of that, nuts and seeds, all of it. Eat all of it. It's beautiful. We get rest. Most of us don't sleep well. A good night's sleep without binge watching any shows on Netflix is very important. The what? I got the bug that's been flying around us oh, this whole time. Great. <laughs> so without <laughs> without binge watching Netflix or anything like that. So if you need help with sleep, we've got the webinar. We can do that. Of course, we had Neil Stanley on the podcast. So that was a big help. And then exercise. So intense exercise will make your immune system a bit weaker. So if you're a marathon runner, 
you have a weaker immune response. If you are somebody who barely works out like me, you'll get a, a benefit from that activity. The next step is probiotics because mm. probiotics can help out with your gut lining, which is uh, a, another big source of infections besides your respiratory tract. Finding a good probiotic is important. We've kind of gone on and on. Jessica Tarhar was on the podcast. We've talked about stuff. We're going to do a gut health one. Make sure that you have a strong, you know, general health, broad spectrum probiotic that's at a high dose. Take that every single day. But none of these things are going to help you stay healthy from coronavirus. Right. Period. Anybody claiming otherwise, they're they're lying to you. So you have to just watch out for that. So Yeah, you're just trying to make yourself as strong as possible to fight it when you inevitably get it because it's going to kill us all. It's going to kill us all. And on that note, I think we can end. Um, we're going out on a high note like George Costanza. <laughs> we're going out on a big note here. I just think that it's serious. Take it seriously. Take care of other people, though. Most of us that are listening aren't high risk. And don't get all worked up. I've taken to a no, a no media lifestyle. I'm on social media doing that stuff. Literally anything I see that has a headline or a title, I try to just completely ignore as much as possible. My wife is talking about the the election and the Super Tuesday and Biden this and Bernie this. And, and I just can't like because yeah. it's all spin and it's made to get us to do something while the system screws with us. So just stop paying attention to the media because here they're they're going bananas. They're going nuts because they want the attention. So they're saying the weirdest stuff and they're, they're making claims and then they're walking them back. And it's just better to not get all hyped up about this whole thing. So common sense, wash your hands, wash your phone, hide your kids, hide your wife. <laughs> and that's it. 